0: Right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. As we continue to dig into this moment of reckoning with racial disparities and systemic oppression, we want to begin this week by talking with someone whose storytelling captures the nuances, the humanity, and the hardships of what it means to be black in America. His newest book, The Nickel Boys, is now out in paperback. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Colson Whitehead. Welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hey, howdy. Thanks for having me. Yes,
0: thanks for being here. So I want to I start here. Um, uh, you wrote Nickel Boys in part in reaction to the election of Donald Trump and the ways that it called on racism and refocused it in the American dialogue. The book then comes out to critical acclaim, and you win the Pulitzer Prize for it in May of this year. And then just a month later the nation boils over in massive protests against racial brutality and systemic inequality, the very themes at the center of the book. I think it's a really fascinating example of the world inspiring an author's work and then that author producing something that helps the world understand what inspired the work in the first place. So I wonder if you can talk about what you think the Nickel Boys says to us about this moment right now in America.
2: Well, you know, it's all—it's all one moment. If you're writing about police brutality or inequities in the justice system, uh, in a book set in Jim Crow, like *Nickel Boys*, or you're inspired by um, the election of Donald Trump or uh, what happened in Ferguson six years ago, uh, you're not being prescient. You're just describing it the way it is. And so, you know, we've never—we never escaped our our, our our terrible situation with regards to race. And so, if you write about um, racial inequities uh, they're always current because we don't remember make any real progress hmm.
0: so nickel boys is set in the 1960s in Florida and it tells the story of two boys who are at a reform school called the Nickel Academy nickel Academy that reformatory is actually based on the Florida School for Boys where there are more than 50 unmarked graves that were found there in 2011. Uh, tell us how you were attracted to this story uh, and why you decided this was the time to tell it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Ferguson a minute ago because it was the summer of 2014, mm-hmm. and um, you know we were capturing a lot of these police brutality incidents on videotape. And later that summer in August, um, they were... Uh, excavating the site of this reform school, the Dozier School for Boys, and they found these unmarked Graves. And it seemed that there's one place uh, like this reform school, how many other... Places, the same way if we capture one death on videotape, how many other police brutality um, events are, are we missing? And I was shocked I never heard of Dozier. You know, it was covered in Florida papers a lot, but not nationally. And it seemed... Um, worthy of telling, you know, the, the, the campus was segregated. Uh, there was a black part and a white part and all the survivors who came forward once the school was closed to talk about their experiences 30 years, 20 years before were white. And I wondered what kind of story I could get out of the black part of campus, the untold part of campus.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: In the book, uh, Elwood, uh, who's the, the, one of the main characters, of course, and the protagonist, um, gets caught up in a mistake. He does something that he's not supposed to do, uh, but the rest of his life is patterned in a way that would suggest he was headed for great success. And that one mistake, of course, derails him and sends him to this reformatory, but also just absolutely ruins his life. And for me, uh, reading that story just reminds me of the greater sort of message there that in America, if you're black, uh, it doesn't matter all of the things that you do that you're supposed to do. Uh, we, are, we are one mistake away. We are one uh, miscalculation away from absolute ruin and, and tragedy and, and Elwood uh, really captures that in, in, a, in a very, I think, searing and, and important way.
2: Well, you know, the mistake isn't much of a mistake. He's just hitchhiking with the wrong person. He has no idea that the, right. the car is stolen. And, of course, in the 60s, people hitchhiked all the time. And he's, uh, you know, the goody-goody. He's a good student. He's actually taking uh, college classes, even though he's in high school. And he's en route to the college campus when he's, uh, uh, when he hitchhikes and so the car is stopped. And it turns out to be stolen. So he's um, so sent to this reform school um, through a miscarriage of justice. And, you know, I wanted to speak to... The situation befalling so many young people of color you know we're just walking down the street we're stopped by police and then uh you're reaching for your wallet they say you're going for a gun and uh you get shot you know so many innocent encounters can escalate to something lethal um just because you happen to leave five minutes later or five minutes early and en- encounter the wrong uh the wrong policeman so you know so he you know his situation i think speaks to so many you know so many people
0: yeah Yeah. Um, The brutality that he experiences at the academy is is quite vivid in in the book. Uh, Talk about why you made the scenes uh, of him encountering this this violence uh, so clear and and so vivid and what message I guess you're trying to send there.
2: Well, you know, with The Underground Railroad, you know, my previous novel, which is about slavery, uh, there's a lot of brutality mm-hmm. and, and, and the violence, because that's how the slave system was upheld. That's the fact of the story. And I want to be true to the slave experience. And so um, it's not Gone with the Wind, where, you know, a white lady is being self-actualized <laughs> against a backdrop of slavery. It's like, oh, they're burning my house down. <laughs> you know, they should burn your house down, because you traffic in human flesh. Um, so... The brutality in that book was realistic, and it has to be realistic in the niggle boys because I am talking about a real life life place and the mm-hmm. brutality suffered by real life people. Um, but I don't actually, you know, I know a lot of the violence happens sort of off the page, mm-hmm. um, so it's not described. because I'm not trying to exploit it. But in order to, you know, to describe the world accurately and realistically, I do have to, um, you know, show how they actually lived, and then I can get on to the human story between Elwood and his his friend Turner. Um, Once the facts are settled, I can get to their sort of philosophical argument about optimism and pessimism and and how we can get along in a world that wants to destroy us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that relationship between Elwood and Turner and that tension uh, between the two of them is a tension that that plays out all the time in in black America. This idea uh, of Elwood's that if you do the things that you're supposed to do, uh, even in circumstances of hardship— uh, that somehow the institution, the faith in the institutions will carry you through. Uh, Turner has a much more uh, sort of dim view of, of all of that and and believes that the deck is inexorably stacked uh, against, against black people. Talk about that relationship and that tension in the larger culture.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, Elwood, you know, seems to be the sort of, larger than life person he's so pure and has such a lofty idea of humanity, but he was inspired by real life people like Dr. King. You know he's in the early '60s he's seen Dr. King and his cohort marching and sitting and, and, and boycotting and, and making, making change. and so um, he does have a model of how the system can be changed. Um, and then Turner, he's an orphan, and that's why hes sent to this reform school. It was a, a warehouse for people who were delinquents, but also. War to the state who had nowhere else to go. So he believes he's you know a survivor. He's lived by his wits and doesn't believe that people change, that systems change. And you can't you know really live wholly in one camp or the other. You have to borrow from both. Um, it's easy to be pessimistic because there's so much evidence that you know people are pretty terrible and the world's pretty terrible. Um, but you also have to have hope. You know I, I have children and I have to hope that the world that they're growing up in is better than. Uh, you know the one I grew up in. The same way my parents and grandparents, who existed in a world of uh, much more severe racial oppression, had to believe that I would grow up in a, in a better place. And so you can't survive without that hope. Um, and yet every day you're confronted with the evidence that undermines that uh, that idea. Yeah. Uh,
0: there's also a, a sort of narrative device that you use uh, in in sort of um, uh, making it clear that that Elwood and Turner are are not all that separate either right uh, that, that they kind of are one and, and, and the, the narrative twist that that is revealed in the book really sort of cements the idea that they are much more connected uh, in their in their ideals um, than than they are separated by the tensions in in the separate in in the differences in, in their beliefs uh, talk about how you have sort of Pull that through in the the book, uh, the the, the singularity. You can't can't have
2: one, you can't live completely with one philosophy of how to be in the world. You you need to that that mix. And so um, I think most of us live with, have our Elwood Elwood selves and our our Turner selves, and sometimes one is winning out more than the other. Um, But uh, to live, you know, completely in an idealistic fashion and believe everything will work out, Uh, or to live in a completely pessimistic uh, fashion that nothing will work out, um, is not sustainable. And so we do have to borrow from reality and also our our more idealistic selves.
0: Mm, Yeah. Uh, This is uh, Detroit Today. I'm 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Colson Whitehead, two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning author, His latest book is The Nickel Boys, which was just released in paperback last week. We're talking about that book, uh, and we are talking about how that book helps us understand the moment that we are experiencing right now in America, where you see millions of people literally in the streets protesting brutality against African-Americans by the police uh, and the larger system of systemic racism and inequality Uh, that drives American culture. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us if you've read The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. What did you think of the book? What do you think of the book's relevance to this moment uh, that we are experiencing? And all of the questions that we're all of a sudden confronting uh, in a way that seems much more serious than it has, uh, at least in the recent past. Um, Do you have a question for Colson Whitehead about The Nickel Boys or about one of his other books? Uh, and as the protests now enter their second month, what are you feeling about the prospect for change? Do you think we will get to a space where we address some of these inequalities and systemic inequalities uh, in America, or do you think that the protests uh, will will, as former movements have, move the needle a little bit, but uh, but not make at uh, the most substantive change that uh, that we might imagine. As always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. 577 1019 That's 313 uh, 577 You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and put comments there. And you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to talk about the torture building in the book at the Academy. Uh, it's nicknamed the Ice Cream Factory by the white boys who were there, and the White House by the African-American boys. Can you talk about why you chose to make that distinction? It seems like it's saying something about the differences in the way that we experience things as Americans and the differences in the way that we interpret uh, different experiences.
2: Sure. I mean, yeah, those are real-life details. Um, At at the Dozier School, uh, once... You know there's an investigation, and they said you can no longer beat the students, which seems perfectly reasonable. so they moved uh, the beatings to a utility shed called the white House mm-hmm. um, and you know and both the white and black campus is called the white House, but the the white kids also called the ice cream factory uh, as a joke because you came out with bruises of every color um, and and this you know I like to make up details, but then some some things you can't compete with obviously <laughs> uh the White House has so much different kinds of, of of resonance that um I had to keep that real life detail and, and let it work let it work for the book um you know i I was doing a a um a a talk last summer, and someone in the Q and A, stood up and said, "You know, I wasn't that those year, but I was in another reform school, and we also call it the ice cream house there because of the same thing—the bruises that you came out with." And so this kind of grim survivor humor um, uh, was coming up simultaneously in, 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 in all sorts of diff- all sorts of different places, and you know the, the the kind of joking that you do in order to um, get through the day and make the severity of the situation not so terrible. Um, happens everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when we see Elwood uh, in the future, in the book, uh, he is not any longer at the reformatory. He is uh, an adult trying to, to put his life back together and and succeed. And then at the end, uh, we learn that... Well,
2: let's yeah, we'll not talk too much about the ending. Okay, but, yeah. <laughs> okay
0: we don't want to spoil that,
2: right? <laughs> we want people to read the book. Uh,
0: but, but it does seem... Uh, the, as though the experience at the academy should have eroded his faith and belief in the civil rights movement and all of these things. and yet he's still clinging to these things and believes in them. Um, talk about why why he why he stays with well, you know, those if
2: there's things. no hope. why go on? You know I, I think I've, I've written three books in a row that sort of address that question. You know uh, a zombie apocalypse book. Um, if you don't believe there's a place of safety, why do you keep on the struggle? And that was Zone 1 10 years ago. Underground Railroad, Cora the Slave, runs north, and she has to believe, even though she's never been off the plantation, that there's a place of safety, uh, a place of freedom. And it's abstract, and there's no proof of it, uh, but she runs anyway. And then with um, Elwood and, and, and Turner, uh, they have to believe that, um, that justice is possible, uh, that you can make something of your life despite everything that the world throws your way. Because if you don't, what's the point of going on? And so, you know, uh, two-thirds of the book take place in 1963 and 64, um, which I chose because it's the height of the Civil Rights Movement, but also the height of Jim Crow. And those those two contradictory energies are fighting each other. Um, And then that means a, a third of the book takes place, as I follow Elwood, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, as he tries to make a life for himself, um, he's been put off track by this traumatic experience, and has to find his, find a way to make himself whole. You know, can he do it? So many of the the Dozier boys uh, don't make it. Um, there's drug abuse and alcoholism, and uh, they're never able to get over this trauma that's uh, derailed them. And so it was important for me to narrate. Um, uh, progress to a whole self? How do you come back from a traumatic event? How do you find a way to love and, and be loved? Mm.
0: As always, again, the number on the phones is 313 1019 That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Joel in Detroit. Joel, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. Thank hey. you so much. Sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the author of Colson. I uh, really appreciate all your all your work. and I, And I think... I feel like the reason that, that his work is so powerful and this book in particular is so fu- powerful is that I feel like it makes manifest the, uh, the racial violence that, um, underpins, um, the, our system of white supremacy and that frankly, many white people, uh, don't actually see or ex, obviously or experience. And so it kind of really makes visible how, how many people of color have experiences um like like the protagonist um uh, uh, and, and how it impacts their life mm. going forward and and for that reason i i really appreciated um uh, the book and thought it was uh, um, a really powerful way to to help help us think about uh racism and white supremacy in our culture
0: yeah joel i really appreciate the call uh and the insights uh, colson as i said earlier I think you read this book and this story uh, of, of Elwood, and uh, again, it wins the Pulitzer Prize in May. And then uh, very quickly after, we learn the story of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which, uh, which lays bare in reality the kind of overreaction, the disproportionate reaction to, uh, to blackness and black existence uh, in this country i mean the 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 similarities the parallels across uh across your work and and reality right now are just uh, so powerful and as joel says for a lot of white people these these are perhaps revelations uh, about what it's what it's like to be black in america i wonder what reactions you get to uh to this work from from white people
2: well you yeah, know i mean uh you know, some audiences, you know, see themselves in in Cora, see themselves in Elwood and Turner, and in some audiences uh, are surprised at uh, how slavery worked or the capriciousness of, of, of Jim Crow. Early on, um, when the book came out, I did, I did a reading, and in the, in the novel, uh, Elwood is stopped by the police, and then we cut to his first day at. Uh, the institution, uh, the Nickel Academy, the stand-in for Dozier. And there was a white lady in her 50s who came to the talk and she said, you know, how come you didn't show the trial? Like, how come you skipped over that? Um, am I just being naive that there was any chance that he would um, uh, get a fair trial? And uh, I skipped it because, no, obviously not. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> you are being naive to think that uh, a poor black 16-year-old um, is going to get anything but railroaded by a, a white judge in the Jim Crow, Florida of of 63. Mm. And so, um, you know, for me, it was an obvious artistic choice. But for this, you know, uh, for this white lady, um, uh, it causes some confusion. because, like, there's really no way out. And no, by page 33 of the book, we know that um, uh, many avenues of escape are are, are closed down
0: okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue our conversation with author colson whitehead uh, we'll talk a little about our wdet book club as well and we want to continue to hear from you 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones you can also go to facebook and twitter put comments there and we'll work them into the conversation we'll be right back with more detroit today Your city, your town,
1: your voice
0: on 1019 WDET,
1: Detroit's NPR station.
0: Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. My guest is Colson Whitehead two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning author. His latest book is The Nickel Boys, which was just released in paperback last week. We're talking about the book, we're talking about uh, his other works, and we're talking about how The Nickel Boys is a really relevant text uh, to help understand what is going on in America right now as we see millions of people taking to the streets to protest uh, police brutality against African-Americans, to protest uh, the history of systemic inequality and racism in America. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us if you've read The Nickel Boys or read other works uh, by Colson Whitehead. Also tell us what you think about this moment uh, we're experiencing here in Detroit and around the country uh, as people take to the streets and say enough of the things that we see uh, often from people's cell phones, enough of the cultural uh, uh, oppression that we see uh, on a daily basis in America uh, with regard to African Americans and other people of color. Uh, As always, again, the number is 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and uh, put comments there. We'll try to work them into the conversation. Uh, Colson, this summer, uh, the WDET Book Club uh, is reading Invisible Man, uh, by Ralph Ellison which is another text that we think helps uh, illuminate some of the things that we're dealing with right now uh, in in American dialogue and American culture um, there are to me a lot of similarities uh, between Ellison's work uh, and some of the themes that you have worked with over the nine books uh, that that you've that you've published uh, but but this concept of invisibility uh, that he deals with, of course, uh, with the nameless character in Invisible Man reminds me very much of, uh, of Elwood and Turner uh, and the concept of being seen, of trying to be seen, of not being able to be seen uh, as a black person uh, in America. I wonder if you can talk about uh about Ellison and Invisible Man and how it connects to the work that you're doing today.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh he, he's a very important figure for me. Um and you know, coming across his work in 7th grade, you know, it was very instructive. It was a uh, in English class, and one of those books that has short stories, so it was go from Shirley Jackson's *The Lottery* mm-hmm. to uh, the first chapter of *Invisible Man*. They they sort of excerpted uh, that first chapter of the novel as a as a short story. And if you remember, you know it's pretty bizarre. Uh, the the black boys are wrestling on an electrified mat. Mm-hmm. There's a, a woman with a American flag on her chest, uh, on her stomach, walking around. And uh, it's very surreal, and, uh, which I found very attractive, even when I was like 12 years old. But also I, I thought, you know, here's this weirdo black guy writing, writing fiction. I'm a weirdo black guy. Maybe I can uh, you know, step up and get my own weird stories on, on the page. And then, of course, coming to the book, the full novel in, in college, um, you know, in the same semester with, with Toni Morrison, mm. Uh, you know, it was just really energizing and inspiring to find different ways of talking about slavery, different ways of talking about being black in cities, black in America. Um, you know, they're both uh, you know such such powerful powerful talents and inspired, definitely inspired my generation and uh, the previous generation of writers.
0: Yeah, um, one of the other, uh, I mean, and you've you've just kind of hinted at this. Uh, one of the other real connections I see between you and Alison is that. Uh, affinity for surreality. So many of your books uh, really use that narrative tool to wonderful affect Underground Railroad, of course, uh, uh, is, is the most recent uh, to do that. Talk about how you, how you see the, the power of that surreality to give different kinds of life or different dimension uh, to real life issues, uh, things like slavery or things like uh, reformatory racial brutality in the
2: 1960s. Yeah, I mean, you know, surreality, absurdity, these are, are features of our, our daily life. and So they become a form of realism. Um, you know, I grew up wanting to be a writer because, you know, before I read that section of Ellison, because of Marvel Comics and Stephen King and Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, The Twilight Zone. So, fantasy literature, horror, science fiction uh, made me, wa- me want to write. Um, and then when I got older, I was attracted to writers that, that you know were able to move between realism and, and fantasy uh, very quickly and with much dexterity, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you know, Toni Morrison has a, a ghost yes. in Beloved. And of course uh, The Invisible Man's Adventures have these very uh, absurd moments. He's in a, a, a factory that makes white paint His room is so
1: studded with uh,
2: uh, a thousand something uh, light bulbs underground. Um, And so um, uh, accepting the fact that our our lives are often um, a bit fantastical, uh, I I, I think, is is a great gift. And uh, I learned that very early from reading writers who use fantasy. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: Also, of course, uh, you were honored with uh, the Pulitzer Prize for the Nickel Boys in May. It is your second uh second in a row in fact uh because uh, you won for underground railroad as well you're only the fourth author uh in american history to to do that two times uh i i just i mean obviously congratulations but uh i i i would love to hear uh how that uh, has sort of sat with you i mean it's it's a remarkable achievement
2: yeah it's pretty crazy but <laughs> it's been <not> a crazy <laughs> year uh You've got an impeachment, a uh, quarantine, a uh, plague, um, uh, the president can't walk down a ramp. I mean, uh, I feel like life has gotten you know, very strange the last six months. And so uh, <laughs> I put the Pulitzer in with that. You know, it's hard to step back sometimes and think, is this all really be happening?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so uh, when you were here in Detroit at Marygrove College, uh, I, I asked you then what you were working on uh, after Underground Railroad. Uh, and you said that you had three books in your mind uh, that, <laughs> that that you were sort of mulling and, and trying to choose between. Uh, and obviously you settled on on the Nickel Boys. And I think you mentioned that one of them was about reformatory. Uh, but I'm also, I want to put the same question to you now. Uh, what are you thinking about, and what is, what is maybe next?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, that, that was a while ago. I, I was working on The Nickel Boys at, at that point, and uh, I hadn't finished yet. Um, so uh, uh, I, I, I'm putting the final touches on a, a, a novel, of, a crime novel it takes place in Harlem in the 60s. So you know, I finished Nickel Boys two years ago, and I've had time to work since then. So I'm you know just polishing this new story and about to give it, up, give it to my editor. So um, it's very different. Doesn't necessarily. It's not as heavy as the last two books, which is nice, and there's more room for jokes. And again, it's a, a crime novel set in New York City. So it was really fun to just. Walk around my hometown and go location scouting. Is this where the hero lives? Hmm. Is this where the where his office is? And just you know, try to um, imagine him and all these these landmarks that I, I, I walk by every day.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: I, I also wonder uh, how much of yourself you see in these characters uh, you create, Cora uh, and. The Underground Railroad, Elwood in The Nickel Boys, uh, as as an African American, uh, how much of this is your experience or how much of your experience reflects what we, what we see on the pages
2: here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes I'm in my books a lot and my, my characters a lot or the supporting characters a lot and sometimes not at all. Uh, Cora, you know, has the least amount of me in her, which mm-hmm. is probably why it's my most popular book. <laughs> but uh in terms of uh, the nickel boys you know I think Elwood and, and Trent definitely speak to different parts of me um uh my 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 brother recently passed away and I was sort of processing uh that when I was writing the book and we were very close and so you know two boys who uh are very alike, are very different uh who are, are so close um you know I'm I'm definitely me and my brother were in that relationship in, in 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 the book and sometimes it's useful to draw upon your own life and sometimes not useful at all. You, you try to do what's best for the book. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we've got a listener on Twitter who says, I would love to see this as one of the books required for reading in high school or college English classes. Uh, obviously that is great praise as well. And, and something that uh, we all need given that uh, the canon in high school and college is still uh, so white and so exclusive of, uh, of African-American literature. But uh, Colson Whitehead, it was really, really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Uh, congratulations again, and thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks so much. Stay safe, everybody. Yeah, you too.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have a look at the latest with COVID 19 contact tracing, contact tracing right here in Michigan, a key element of survival uh, until we get a vaccine. How are we doing in the state of Michigan with it? Stay with us in Detroit today.